Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 69. Do you wonder what the future may hold for the Python language? Are there speed improvements coming soon? What if you could be in the room while the core developers discuss Python's future? This week on the show, we have Joanna Jablonski, who was invited to the Python Language Summit 2021 as a journalist to summarize and document the event. A small group of core developers from the Python community gather to work toward a healthy future for the language. Through presentations and group discussions, they share insights, ideas, and potential problems. Joanna has been the executive editor at RealPython, and she was invited to write a series of blog posts for the Python Software Foundation that summarize the presentations and deeper conversations of the summit. We walk through the two days and discuss the topics covered. Several of the presentations focused on performance and speeding up CPython, and there were also conversations about packaging, documentation, the standard library, handling exceptions, testing, and much more. This episode is brought to you by Sentry, helping developers see issues that matter, solve those issues in minutes, and learn insights to keep their applications running at peak performance. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Joanna. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you. All right. So you had a, a really kind of a fun experience in the last uh, couple months here of attending the Python Language Summit for 2021. And can you tell me a little bit about like not only your attendance of it, but the, the series of articles you've written about it? Sure thing. Uh, so I should probably start by explaining what the Python Language Summit is. It's a two-day event that happens every year in the lead up to PyCon US. And normally it would just sort of be wrapped into the all the events around the conference. But this year, since everything was remote again, we just you know had another, we had it uh, over video conference. But one perk of that was that more people were able to attend than you know would otherwise possibly be limited by like time zones or travel or you know all that kind of thing. The general idea is that it's you know you're supposed to get a whole bunch of core developers from different Python implementations together and they like give presentations to each other and have discussions and generally bounce ideas around in order to help Python flourish as a language, but also help the Python community flourish. And it's a closed event generally, you know, like PyCon in theory, anyone could go, but for the language summit, you actually had to apply. And they, like, it it would be fascinating to just come and spectate. I would imagine tons of people would want to just come and sit in on this and be a fly on the wall. But the general idea is that they don't really... Like, if you're coming, you kind of should be presenting. Like, it might be a little bit fuzzy, but, you know, it's not just a fully open thing, Uh, which means that, you know, plenty of people probably have FOMO because they didn't get to go to the Language Summit. And, you know, we want to keep... Python is open source. Like, openness is kind of a a theme. And so it's really useful just to make sure that the rest of the 
community still has access to what happened at this event since you know it's about the future of python and so every year the python software foundation gets a journalist to attend the event and write up blog posts about all of the talks that were given and then post them on the psf blog so if you want to check out what happened at the summit go to the psf blog uh, i posted all of the articles between may and june yeah they're all there dig into them and just keep <laughs> the conversations going right because like they're talking about peps they're talking about ideas they're talking about community initiatives they're talking about all kinds of cool stuff and like we want people to get involved and be leaders in the python community and you know it uh i love the python community clearly and i this is part of what I think Python is doing fantastically well. Yeah, and I'll include links for all the different posts uh, also so that people can kind of dive into them and, and navigate through them. But I think it's going to be a great resource for everybody, again, who wasn't able to attend and <laughs> maybe minimize their FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> In general, this is the main way that those talks then would be shared. Yeah, it's the only way that they're going to be shared. I mean, I suppose speakers can still like share their slides and it's not as if like they signed an NDA or anything like that. But right. they're, like, there aren't recordings of the talks that are publicly available or anything like that. Like this, the, the blog posts are pretty much it. Uh, fortunately, I was able to work from recordings to write the articles this year. I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, that was hugely helpful in past years. Or I think it, last year the journalist did work from recordings because it was on video conference, or at least I think he did. I assume he did. Okay. Under the con in the context. But yeah, otherwise it's just in previous years before that, it's kind of more challenging journalism because you show up and you have a, like you try to record the audio and you take some photos of the, like the projection and, right. you know, a hope for the best, I think. So I uh, I did appreciate that I had videos to work from, and I do think it helped me do a better job. Yeah, I could imagine that in person, it might be a bit more distracting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess maybe one thing that would have been nice for the attendees of this specifically is like their own little hallway track of a sort. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I assume that would have definitely been interesting, but oh, maybe there could also be privacy concerns or, you know, maybe some people, you know, having it be a closed event might feel more comfortable with that. So it's, you know, it's uh can be a bit of a mixed bag either way. But this seems like a reasonable kind of midway point compromise. And I hope that people, you know, get something out of these articles and can sort of feel like they were there um, under the circumstances. Yeah. You know, in general, you had to summarize them quite a bit, kind of narrow them down. I'm not sure how long each one of these presentations was, but were there certain tricks that you uh, had for summarizing them? Yeah. So my general goal was to get each article between 500 words and a thousand words. Okay. It's, it was not always successful with that. I think the one on, um, was it Zach Hatfield Dodd's talk on fuzzing and testing Python with properties. That one I definitely did end up having to go over on because he was just, it was hard to condense because it was so focused on examples. And in order to really, like, it, it was incredibly useful. And I think if you read the article, you're going to get you know, pretty close to the experience of the talk because I still manage to like get the code examples in and like he walks you through the different use cases and things. But that one was quite hard to condense. Others definitely felt like there were so many details that I kind of had to include all of them or none of them in order to feel balanced. And just you're generally trying to think like right for your audience who are 
who is this article for? Do they necessarily care about this tangent? Like, how much did you... Do we need to go into explaining particular concepts or terminology? Like, Yeah, I was going to ask about that, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the... I definitely learned a lot, let me put it that way, by, by listening to those talks. I feel like that's one of those things that, and one of the intents that I have for, you know, having this conversation with you, you know, is the goal of the podcast generally is to like, you know, help, you know, beginner and intermediate sort of Python people. And, you know, also have interest for advanced people that want to keep growing and keep learning. It's like, well, here's a, a treasure trove of things that are happening inside of the Python language itself. And uh, there is a real variety of sort of topics of development under it. And they're all mm. pretty advanced. Yeah. And so in general, like, you know, how familiar are you, were you with like the terms that were being used in some cases? I mean, I, I was familiar with some of them, but I remember particularly when I was doing the write-up for Mark Shannon's talk on tiers of execution, I ended up having to do a lot of research. And in the end, when I look at what I wrote, I'm like, I'm not entirely sure I did this justice, but... That's got to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I definitely learned some things. And I, I feel like everything is always learning anyway. I do yeah. find it really reassuring when I hear from other people who I, you know, like look up to and see as a lot more advanced than myself that like, no, they are similarly are always learning and they have to keep learning in order for them to be in the sort of positions that I end up looking up <laughs> to them about. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do find it reassuring to kind of look behind the curtain and be like, oh no, we're all just looking stuff up. Well, no, really, we're just, we're all stuck in a loop of looking up terms we don't know. Like, it's fine. <laughs> you were using that term of like, you know, always, always having to keep learning and keep moving and so forth. It's like sort of this uh, educational shark kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, educational treadmill, I don't know. Yeah, it's, whatever, uh, you just got to keep, Got to keep moving. <laughs> we need to keep... come up with a metaphor, I think, that feels more fulfilling, though, because otherwise, I don't know. A curiosity. I don't know. Maybe curiosity. Yeah, that's, that is part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's pretty vast, just even the number of, <laughs> of uh, posts that you, you wrote. And so we're not going to be able to dive too deep on each, but at least maybe we could touch on them. And I think what's nice is you, you start off with just a you know 2020 Python Language Summit uh, post that has them all listed of day one and day two, and then the topic, and then you know who was speaking. Like who was hosting it this time? So it was hosted by Marietta Wijaya and Wukash Langa, and they did a fantastic job of just like organizing the whole thing and hosting it. And I don't know it felt like almost as good as a in person event. And you know, it's emceeing for that kind of thing is is a challenging thing to pull off. And I think that they did a fantastic job. It definitely, like, had a strong community feel. It felt like I was sitting in on a family reunion, even though we were all just sitting in front of our cameras. So kind of a, a similar trend, you know, to PyCon itself, were there time for question and answer after the talks? Yes. I mean, not during the lightning talks, then we pretty much just needed to like zoom from one talk to the other. And then, you know, there was maybe some point of contact given to like, if you want to talk more about this, here's what you can do. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, there were always uh, bits of time to you know, ask ask and answer questions after the talks. And there were some pretty interesting discussions. I wasn't able to include all of them. Yeah. Just because, you know, I figured it seemed more important to 
talk about the meat of the talk and maybe weave in a little bit of the conversation Mm -hmm. just with a limited word count. But yeah, there were some lively discussions. The one about Linux distributions was, I don't know how to describe it, but like... Contentious? (laughs) No, not contentious. It was just like, I could feel like the emotional investment in it. It was just like, it was a... It felt like personal, uh, that kind of discussion. and Yeah, that sort of charged it up in a way. Yeah, a little bit. Well, just kind of like with the history and like communication and stuff. And, yeah. But yeah, generally the conversations were quite good. They were useful. It was very, I found that there were often very clear movements towards actually getting something done during the discussions. Like, okay, like here are the next steps. We don't want this person to come back again next year and have to like give the same presentation again. Like, what are we going to do? Someone put a post up, we're getting it done. And just a very proactive community, collaborative feel. Like it wasn't, I didn't at any point feel like people were like at loggerheads. It seemed like a very nice collaborative kind of environment. That's good. Awesome. Do you want to dive in? Like, do you yes. have a particular notes you want to follow? Uh, well, I'm happy to go in the order that they went in. Okay, cool. The first talk was called PEP 654, Exception Groups, and Accept Star. It was given by Irit Katriel, Yuri Selvanov, and Guido Van Rossum. And PEP 654 uh, was at the draft stage when the talk was given. I assume it still is, but I have not double-checked since. The basic idea is that they want to help users handle unrelated exceptions because right now if you're trying to deal with multiple exceptions at the same time like you do have some options but they're not great okay because like if you have multiple unrelated exceptions and you raise the first one and throw away the others then you're losing exceptions yeah but then if you return just like a list for the exceptions instead of raising them then you just have error codes so you can't do exception handling. Hmm. And then if you wrap the list of exceptions in a wrapper exception, then again, you just have a list of error codes. So you have the same problem. And the article is one that I think it also does a pretty good job of summarizing it. You know, there's diagrams, there's code blocks, they go into details, like how do we deal with the metadata? What ideas are we considering? Which ones are we thinking? Mm, maybe not. But anyway, the basic idea for this PEP is that they're proposing a new built-in exception type that wraps other exceptions and new syntax with accept star to handle exception groups. But, you know, check out the blog post for more detailed explanation on that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you would group things together that in, in a way to kind of handle them and then how do you split them up and again, that there's like a relationship of like, you know, what's the root exception and then the yeah. children underneath it. And so that's, I think it leads into like, some of the other ones that were coming up too, because I think their exceptions can be a cause of for some, you know, not only you know your your program stopping <laughs> potentially, uh-huh. but also like like just like figuring out how to handle them can be a huge uh, amount of time as far as the processing. Yeah. So. Yeah, and th- like there were a number of talks that sort of ended up tying into each other, like. Guido's talk about performance came right after Dino's talk about performance. And yeah, so yeah. the discussions kind of ended up overlapping there. Or the stuff that Luciano Romalo was talking about sort of ended up coming up in different areas. Just the whole idea of like a core user. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Yeah, no, it's cool. It seems like there's you know a lot of these things are like there's an overall 
sense that things are moving in a particular direction and ideas are like minds are thinking of these same problems in different ways, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, it feels like progress and like things yeah. get done and like collaborativeness and cross-pollination and all that good stuff. This episode is brought to you by Sentry, helping developers see issues that matter, solve those issues in minutes, and learn insights to keep their applications running at peak performance. What can you expect from Sentry? You get actionable insights and full context so you can fix your app's errors and optimize its performance. You get performance monitoring. Engineering managers and developers now have a single tool to trace Python performance issues back to poor performing API calls, as well as surface all related code errors. And with Sentry's error monitoring, you can understand the important events that led to each Python exception, be it SQL queries, debug logs, network requests, or past errors. Spend less time fixing bugs and more time building features. You can learn more at sentry.io slash 4for slash python, or you can click the link in the show notes. So what do you got next? Uh, next one was called Progress on Running Multiple Python Interpreters in Parallel in the Same Process. That was by Victor Stinner and Dong Hee Na. And the changes that they're proposing could be useful to people if you want to work with embedded Python or run multiple interpreters in parallel. Because having everything be in the same process could be more efficient. Like if your admin tools or APIs are designed to handle a single process rather than multiple. And they also mentioned that on Windows, creating a thread is faster than creating a process, and that on Mac OS, uh, they decided to ban forks, so multiprocessing uses uh, spawn by default, and the slower. There's more details in the blog post, Yeah, as usual. It's pretty, another, another deep one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, for a few of them, there's also, I ended up having, like, one screenshot for, like, here's the performance numbers. I'm not just going to, like, what you want is the screenshot. I'm just not going to just write a list about it, so check that out. and. I will keep pointing people to the blog posts for all of these. So the next one is, uh, I think what you're talking about, Dino's one. Yes. Okay. This one was very cool because, well, it was cool for a number of reasons. And also just because performance is the thing that everyone is talking about. But the article about this talk was the first public mention of Pyro, P-Y-R-O, which is uh, an experimental implementation of Python at Instagram. And so, like, this was, there was, like, sort of kind of, like, real breaking news on the PSF blog because of this, because uh, mm. he ended up mentioning it, even though mostly he was talking about Cinder. Yeah. Okay. So that's Instagram's internal performance-oriented production version of CPython 3.8. as a lot of performance optimizations, bytecode, inline caching, and eager evaluation of coroutines, a method-at-a-time JIT, and an experimental bytecode compiler that uses type annotations to emit type-specialized bytecode that performs better than the JIT. And it's all open source, so you can check it out. It's at github.com slash Facebook incubator slash Cinder. And yeah, check it out. So just as a brief aside, so something that is a, a, a JIT, a just-in-time compiler, is that the terminology? Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the case of an app that's running on like a, you know, like a mobile app like Instagram, mm -hmm. that, that could be a huge performance boost? 
I think so. Yeah, like that's the impression I get. I a lot of the stuff, a lot of this kind of terminology and concepts, I kind of end up learning it yeah. when I need it, and then I find that I have to keep learning it again because I haven't had to use the information in like a month or something. Yeah. But yeah, this is definitely an example of when I was of like times when I was learning more by listening to the talks and writing and researching to write them because. Another thing is also just like balancing how do you these how do you express these ideas and how do you express them so that it's correct and how do you express them so they sound correct and I ended up going on this whole rabbit hole of like okay so technically like jit means this but it's also used as a verb and like I ended up going down this whole rabbit hole of how, like what is the correct way of expressing it as a verb I'm like this is not the point no one cares yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure <laughs> like yes the the past part of the past form of it is like jat that's fine <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> and then that led right into Guido's talk about ah, um, yes. okay. Python becoming faster. This one's very cool. Uh, so the basic idea here is that Microsoft is going to be funding a small team to make uh, CPython faster. At the time of the language summit, like, the team was just Guido, Mark Shannon, Eric Snow. But I feel like I've been seeing... I saw Brett Cannon post the job ad for this. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, okay. So that was what that was, right? I th- I'm not sure. There was a basically, I'm, and I have to find out more about it, but I know Guido was posting uh, them looking for a, a lead, basically, you know, someone yeah. to, to basically be the manager of uh, the project, per se. I guess a, maybe a PM, project manager, mm. uh, versus an, another engineer. Obviously, there's like, a pretty detailed list of requirements, but it, yeah. was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, because I remember, like, you know, after the Language Summit, seeing that job ad, and because Brett Cannon had specifically mentioned, like, don't let imposter syndrome because of who's on the team get in the way. And I was like, oh, I think <laughs> yeah. I think I know what this is. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so they're going to be presumably looking for other people to join this team and the collaboration with CPython core developers is going to be super open and they're going to keep like the repos open and keep all the discussions in trackers and open repos. And yeah, the theme is openness. Yeah. So like he, it starts off with like, I don't know, it was a Mark Shannon was sharing his plan. Um, Yes, he had a plan, but he he was like, I will not tell you until there is funding. (laughs) Which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And and he was like, I think that we can over five times faster in four years, which is nuts. That's some bananas numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, the question is like, what is possible? Yeah. I mean, check out the article, of course, but it was definitely some, I don't have the full context to understand how bananas those numbers are. But when I read them, I was like, this, this is bananas. Yeah. That's, that's bananas. Yeah. Well, I like the, the, you broke it down with the section of like, you know, like, okay, well, you know, how they would break it faster and then how who would actually benefit from it yeah um, which is good so yeah there was definitely i saw some people kind of joking around on twitter that in the list of people who won't benefit of like is people who's, who need to improve their code like their code is slow enough as it is uh which um i, I think caused some laughs on twitter yeah <laughs> but yeah <laughs> What was the next one? Next one was by Antonio Cooney. Uh, it's called HPI Present and Future. He also talked about this at 
the 2020 language summit. So this year was, you know, just giving an update on how things have progressed with the project. And it is an alternative API for writing C extensions because the current Python C API uh, shows the implementation details, but HPI hides them, you know, that, that would other be otherwise be exposed. And I mean, again, more details in the article, but one thing that stood out was that he asked the CPython devs at the summit if it would be possible to make HPI a semi-official API in the future with first-class support for importing modules and distributing wheels. And some some of the people who heard the talk suggested writing a PEP to make that happen. So hmm. maybe that will happen. Is there a significance to the letter HPI? Ah, I feel like I knew this before. Was it... I think I'm mixing things. I, part of me wants to say hypothesis, but I don't remember if I'm mixing this up with another talk. Because I remember I went on a bit of a rabbit hole and I was checking out their site and reading their blog. And it, incidentally, sideline, it sounds like they're also open to uh, designers to help them with their site. Okay. Just in case people are looking to contribute in that way. But hmm. yes, the H and HPI stands for handle. Okay. That's what it is. So here we are live being people who look stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. There are a lot of talks. That was the fifth one. We have a ways to go. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's keep rolling. (laughs) I keep rolling. Okay. We just reached the end of day one because... Oh, lightning talks. Yes, lightning talks. Uh, Both days ended with a series of lightning talks. A bunch of people just, you know, gave short five-minute long talks. And uh, the first day was a little lighter on the lightning. We had uh, Petr, Victor, and Lorena Mesa, and Scott Shawcroft. And first one was from Petr, the Stable ABI and Limited C API. Uh, it's a way to compile a C extension on Python 3.x and run it on Python 3.x+. And PEP384 introduced it in 2009. You can use it to simplify extension maintenance, and it can uh, help you support more versions. He'd like to see it used for bindings and embeddings. It does have lower performance and can't do everything that you know you could do with the full API. But anyway, check it out. And second one was Lorena Mesa. Uh, she's um, an absolute powerhouse. Uh, in, in addition to everything else she does, she's also involved with PyLadies. Yeah. So she talked about promoting PyLadies and in CPython development. And if you're not familiar with PyLadies, it's an international mentorship group to help women be active in the Python community. And they've had a lot of growth internationally in the last while. And so they're trying to just to help chapters better support their members so that they can actually like deliver on the mandate of helping these people actually, like, what does it mean to be a leader? Like, how, what do you do? Yeah. It makes sense. And so, like, how do you start contributing? How do you keep contributing? Incidentally, RealPython has a handy article on how to start contributing to Python if you haven't started yet. It's for complete beginners. So if you want to start contributing, yeah, check it out on RealPython. But anyway, so they've seen a lot of growth internationally, and they want to actually support their members. So they're going to come up with some kind of, like, centralized mandate and global governance model. And it sounds like they're going to try running it like an open source project, but I'm not entirely clear on the details of what that means exactly. But from what I understand, they are also, or at least were also looking for people to help provide some resources to like 
basically help people get started contributing, whether that means like doing a screen recording or like like having something to put on their YouTube channel or, or something like that. So Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And the last one from the first round of lightning talks was by Scott Shawcroft from CircuitPython. Gave the talk CircuitPython, a subset of CPython. And it is a much smaller version of Python that runs on microcontrollers. Basically, he did a lot of comparing the nuts and bolts of what's included in CircuitPython and comparing it to what's included in CPython. Yeah, I like the, the size comparison. is pretty 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 big difference here. Yeah. In the actual talks, he gave more specific examples, like this specific thing is included or whatever. But it, it just generally gave a sense mm-hmm. of what is actually central to Python users' experience of Python. Like just the whole, there, there can be aspects of Python that aren't core Python that people still feel like is Python. Like, you know, people feel like NumPy is Python, but, you know, like right, that kind right. of thing. And so it just kind of, this kind of ties into the talk about, like, what is the yeah, standard library? I, I was thinking that because we, we kind of talked yeah. about that when Brett was on the show. And I've been playing in CircuitPython a bit with a couple projects. And that was one of the things I noticed right away. It's like, okay, if I want to do, you know, go down a specific, you know, in this case, hardware route of, like, I want to have this device act like it's a USB interface kind of thing like where it's going to be acting Mm -hmm. like a keyboard well i need to import those little pieces Mm -hmm. because they're not included by default which makes sense you know like you know for certain projects you're not going to need that and you need to keep things lightweight that and that was a little bit of a journey like trying to find out like okay well where is all that how do i how do i download it and and it's a (laughs) little it's not quite as simple as um you know, like something being able to be just import math, you know, <laughs> and it's like ready to go, you know. So that's that's definitely a little extra step in something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely sort of like a perspective shift too, where it's just like, oh, maybe we don't have to maintain all of this stuff as core, right? Like it's true. It, there's a huge maintenance cost too. Anyway, I'm kind of I, I'm going to try to not veer in too much into my own personal thoughts okay. on this and it represents. <laughs> Yeah, good point. But yeah, journalism is you know, attempting right, to right, report right. what happened. And then we can <laughs> discuss, discuss what we think from there. Yes. Cool. So then how many hours was that? Like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I mean, granted, there weren't just the talks. There were also just lovely like family reunion chatting times, which were quite fun. Like it, it took a while before the talks actually happened because everyone's just kind of like slowly rocking up and be like, Hey, Hey, you, come visit, <laughs> you know, which was nice. And then, you know, just, we, we had to have breaks cause I definitely had some serious brain melt going on. <laughs> right. Like, again, another reason why I was very happy to have the videos to work from because I was like, yeah, these are, I, I am a lot. learning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. yeah. It, some of it was fairly dense, but yeah, there was lots of just like like lunch breaks and people chatting, and some people have their cameras on and some people don't, and people are just you know having a, a like a, really a family reunion seems like the the closest comparison oh, cool. that I can think to bring in there. So yeah, nice. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It's about a topic you work with every time you use Python. It's titled. Defining and Calling Python Functions. The course is based on a real Python article by John Sturtz. And in the video course, Howard Francis takes you through how functions work in Python and why they're beneficial, 
how to define and call your own Python functions, mechanisms for passing arguments to your functions, which include the differences of how to work with positional arguments, keyword arguments, default parameters, forcing positional-only or keyword-only arguments, tuple packing and unpacking, and the ways to return data from your function back to the calling environment. If you use Python, you have undoubtedly worked with functions, but do you really know the complexities of how to define your own functions and use arguments effectively? I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn the nitty-gritty details of working with functions. It'll help you understand the code you encounter out there in the wild and help you write more effective functions on your Python journey. Real Python video courses are broken into easily consumable sections, and where needed, include code examples for the techniques shown. All lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find the link in the show notes, or you can find it using the newly enhanced search tool on realpython.com. Dig into day two. Yeah, start with day two. All right. So here we go. Oh, this was the Linux one. It was by uh, Matthias Kloza. Basically talked about CPython sources and how they fit in with Debian and Ubuntu and who owns module installations. And just like support for various platforms and what inclusiveness can mean if Python is so ubiquitous. And kind of like some of the... Mm, more challenging communication issues that have like have problems so far. And one of the, I actually do remember some a little bit of the discussion yeah. that happened afterwards. And I, I did try to weave it into the article a little bit because I think it was Carol Willing who just brought up the, the sort of dichotomy that appears to come up between users and developers. Like this is a user, this is a mm. developer, but there could be people who are like, who are, perfectly competent and knowledgeable, but like they're just having a hard time getting this set up. And so like the line isn't necessarily super clear. It's not like these are not two discrete groups. Yeah, especially with something like Linux, because it it's kind of this weird, small operating system, which it can be used in these, a lot of other types of devices or in things mm -hmm. like, you know, containers um, like Docker or, or you know, again, we talked about CircuitPython, but like Internet of Things kind of devices or other, you know, smaller computers right. or, you know, servers and things like that. So I I can see that that landscape is really crazy. <laughs> and then there's a lot of like probably background stuff with, you know, just the number of times that Python 2 is mentioned in this particular yeah. post alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to be contention since that it's over a year and a half now that yeah. Python 2 was, yeah. you know, <laughs> deprecated. Yeah. I would describe it as varied. Okay. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good to be talking about it. I think it's better to be talking about it than not talking about it. Yeah. I could see that shift, you know, being difficult in a lot of ways, not from an opinion way, but just being like a, as a process, like how do, yeah. how do we get there? And then there's all, and then there's so many versions of, it's complicated. of yeah. those operating systems with Debian and Ubuntu, like, you know, like <laughs> what it was like, uh, 21.04, you know? <laughs> so there, there's already like, you know, how many revisions are there and, and, and so forth. So I, 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 you know, definitely something to pay attention to. And I, it's one I'm going to have to dive into a little bit deeper because I've been playing around a little bit more with with that, and I got a new Raspberry Pi, the the Ooh. 400, the all-in-one keyboard thing. Yeah. Um, and cool. so um, 
you know, again, needing to pick what version of Linux is going to run on that and, and so mm-hmm. forth. And yeah, I, it's definitely a different process of getting uh, Python just even up to date and current and, and so forth on a, on a Linux distribution. <laughs> uh, well, actually, this actually does end up also tying in with Luciano's talk, although I didn't end up including this in uh in the article, just because I was trying to keep it short, but you know, similar problems there, where it's just like I'm just trying to get this set up. There's something about drivers. I'm trying to. Oh wait, no, I guess I'll never get this set up because the person I asked is just like, no, yes, that's the correct thing because it's suboptimal. No, I'm just trying to get it set up. <laughs> <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> anyway, so yeah, core users. We'll get back to core users, but in the meantime, the next article was on my favorite. Yeah, topic. I was thinking that. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. Uh, well, I'm. I've also like I've already started getting involved with the editorial board, and I'm delighted. Uh, I'm. Mm, this is okay. delicious. Uh, but yeah, I should actually start talking about the topic. <laughs> okay. It's the Python documentation work group, and this is not the first time we have had a presentation about the work group at a language summit because there was also one last year. But this year, Carol Willing and Marietta Wijaya came back to talk about it again. And basically, the idea is that they want to bring together core developers, documentarians, and educators so we can have better documentation that serves the needs of the broader community more effectively because, I mean, most people aren't core developers. We need to have a variety of perspectives. And, you know, like, we need to have more stuff like people who are learning and, you know, try to modernize the documentation themes so that they'll be responsive on mobile because plenty of people are working with limited bandwidth. And it's a very interesting problem to be like, yeah, what are the learning needs? What are the actual, like, context needs rather than just, like, straight-up learning needs? And th- it's not going to be too disruptive. Like, they're, it's more... It's not going to be like tearing up everything that's already there, but like coming up with new stuff that meets the needs that people have. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, Python already has great docs compared to a lot of other stuff, but I'm excited at the prospect of it being even better, especially since it's so often positioned as a learning language. Yeah. I think this should be really useful. Yeah. And that's another trend that I've been noticing. Just, you know, I keep referencing that in a lot of the uh, episodes that we've been having where it's like, and we just talked about funk tools last week and the, you know, the documentation for it is pretty great. You know, as far as like going into it, like, you know, in some ways I was like, I prefer what's written here over sometimes what's written in the article and, and it avoids, you know, what we've already talked about, the opinion part of it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. per se. And so that's can be handy too, to kind of have like a, you know, something that's really more just its goal is to, to teach you what's going on inside of it. And, and also, I, I find it succinct, you know, in a lot of cases, which is really good, too. It's not trying to go too deep. Mm. So I'm you know, any improvements are welcome, but but uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens. And are you going to be yes. involved in that a little bit? Are you hoping to? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting involved with the editorial board. Great. Um, and I am delighted. Uh, so that, that is very cool. I mean, like, once we start talking about documentation, I will not stop. <laughs> I will just be like, okay, here's the deal. If your documentation sucks, no one knows that your, pro- that your project doesn't. Let's sit down yeah. like, <laughs> have to, like, hold back a little bit. I understood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's cool. Yeah. All right, next up is Brett Cannon with What is the Standard Library? Again, this one was pretty much had the opposite energy of the one that I was just projecting with documentation, (laughs) 
which is more just like, you know, a bit more open and like kind of proposing ideas and saying like, you know, like, is it time for us to write a pep about what the standard library should be? But again, like none of this was making grand declarations. It's all just like, let's talk about this because there are a lot of opinions on the standard library. It could be useful to come to some kind of agreement. Like what should it be? Like how can we best manage it? What should it focus on? Like how can we decide what should be in it? What shouldn't be in it? Cause it's huge. Yeah. He talked about it a little bit in our episode together and it was very interesting to, to hear his opinion and, and his take on it. And it kind of go, like you said, building off of the circuit Python conversation, you know, they were able to, mm-hmm. in a way, create a subset. And, and yeah, yeah. And, that works. And that feels right. like Python. It's still, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it does have that same look and feel, which is really nice. And, you know, he highlights here as he started to highlight a little bit in our talk, there are, you know, these modules that are not even used in a huge number of projects. And so there's a maintenance mm-hmm. cost to like making sure huge those things work. Yeah. And that, yeah. that part I think is really, I think, uh, uh the, the huge thing and it's like could this be a standalone thing and could it be you know moved over and and i i think it makes sense you know like what was the size difference it was like um 63 megabytes or something like that or versus like kilobytes off the top yeah. of my head i don't remember but it was massive yeah and especially when he was proposing through his unraveling series the the move to potentially try to get like a web assembly mm thing happening it would really be helpful if it was smaller (laughs) so like what's the core yeah and yeah so basically it could help to be yeah yeah i don't organize might not be the best word there i don't know if we want to use it you know (laughs) yeah it it sounds like there's a strong value judgment i take that back yeah i I think of that tv show i don't know if you've watched loki at all but they have this i haven't yet uh, no there's this term of pruning <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. See again, it's a very it's the all of I should I definitely should know better than to use such loaded words. But I also realize that quite often in these contexts, people put a lot less care into the words that they choose, and so I'm like, ah, okay, <laughs> these these are the words. Yeah. Like you said, there's a maintenance cost to 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 keeping yeah. you know the size of certain things, and and it, I think it's definitely something that should be revisited. So that'd be cool if they bring it through the pep. Uh, method and but yeah get people's get the conversation rolling (laughs) cool yeah and speaking of conversation and communication (laughs) this does lead beautifully into the next one again like this is another sort of pair of talks that sort of led into each other nicely eric snow talked about what i should work on as a core dev and Basically, like, people come in, they work on whatever they find interesting or whatever is personally relevant to them, and then they're here, and core developers might be wanting to work on the thing that they think is going to be the most impactful. Right. But it's hard for individuals to see the bigger picture. And so he's like, what if we had a program manager who could come in, assess the needs of the community, like, give us some direction, which, you know, could also provide some direction for the steering council when they work on the roadmap and just generally facilitate collaboration. And so... I wondered in some ways with the... Where they were trying to get a full-time employee, if that would be part of it. But I don't think it would. I don't think it was yeah. as a project manager per se. But I think the continuity of a full-time person could provide some of what they're looking for. But maybe the suggestion would be to 
you know, <laughs> add a second person that does that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And that's a whole funding thing too. So, uh, yeah, funding as a whole, obviously the discussion immediately veered towards funding, but like on the face of it, I'm just like, I don't, I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I am not equipped yeah. to, you know, make these decisions and I don't need, fortunately, I don't need to have an opinion on them, which is fine. But it, I mean, it does, it would help potentially bring some cohesion. Like, I don't know. And again, I'm using very loaded words. I don't need to be used. I love Python and the community. It sounds like I'm describing it like an, a disorganized thing. But but yeah, anyway, it was an interesting concept. We'll see. Well, I'm glad they're talking about these things too, right? Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, letting it sit there. And then I, I, I feel like, you know, as the language grows, there's going to be more people that are interested in contributing. And so that seems like a really good talk yes. for that. And, you know, our book yes. is maybe helping a little bit too. Uh, Anthony, Sh- yes. <laughs> Anthony Shaw's new book. Yes, Python exactly. Internals. Oh yeah, my goodness. Which is cool. Yes. It's, I mean, it definitely inspired me in a big way. So I was like, you know what? I, why not do this? Why wasn't I doing this five yeah. years ago? Like, and so I encourage people to just like, I don't know, go do a thing, like pick something, try that. So then. I think it goes into your one you were talking about before, the fuzzing and testing. Oh, the fuzzing yeah. and testing one. Yeah. Okay. So for this, I recommend that everyone check out the articles for all of them, but for this one particularly, because it's so heavy on the code blocks and the yeah. examples. But broadly, he was talking about how, like, the benefits of property-based testing, because it can help you generate input data you might not have thought of yourself, and it can help you check that the result isn't wrong, even if you don't have the right answer and just basically he was talking about like finding bugs in your understanding rather than just your code and it's it's almost like getting user feedback before getting yeah. user feedback but yeah check the articles to see the actual pro, uh, practical code examples that he used to illustrate his point and um, I, I think this one this particular talk was one that a lot of people were looking forward to yeah it looks like really good especially if you're you know interested in in going a little further with testing and and taking, mm-hmm. in my opinion, testing to that next level, which, you know, the parameterizing or having slightly fuzzier tests that, you know, cover a yeah. broader area. So that's good. Yeah, to kind of like cover, uh, kind of get out of the problem where you're like, well, I asked you to do exactly right. this. Oops, that wasn't exactly what I wanted. Yeah, making it prepared for human <laughs> interaction. Nothing could be yeah. completely prepared for it, but yeah. Yeah. All right, and then we get into yeah. lightning talks. Yes, uh, so the second round of lightning talks was a little bit of a marathon uh, because there was some spillover from the first day and maybe also some people hadn't signed up yet. And so we had, let's see, I mean, a whole bunch of talks. Um, so I may be a little quicker on these, but there was uh, Ronnie Fanschmidt, who's a PyTest maintainer. He talked about, well, the talk was called Annotated Assertions Debugging with Joy. Basically, he wants to create a PEP or have a PEP sponsor and open PyTest implementation to a wider audience. Uh, then Pablo Galindo and Batuhan Taskaya talked about PEP 657. So that's about um, error locations and tracebacks. They want to improve debugging by just making tracebacks more specific, which I mean, certainly sounds helpful, could help with code coverage tools because you can get like expression level coverage rather than just line level coverage mm. oh and so luciano this was one of the talks that ended up tying into everyone's talks because it's you know basically it's about usability of python which is going to somehow tie into every possible topic uh, at 
the summit and he was talking about I don't are you familiar with the user personas of like Mort, Elvis, and Einstein? I found them fascinating when I just read this and I was like Yeah. Okay, that's I, I haven't heard it presented that way. You know, maybe that's the context that I've been floating in, like but yeah, that's cool. That's fine. But yeah, so basically if you you can sort of sidestep the whole meaning of like what these different names kind of have associated with them. Basically, he's presenting the idea, like, what if we had core users rather than just core developers, like, also had a, some kind of role called core users. Uh, these are just, like, like people who are Python users or not core developers, uh, and they can come in and give feedback as well uh, just to okay. make sure that we're meeting the needs of the broader community, where it's just right. where you're not running into the situation like like he had with the whole, like, trying to set up Debian and and drivers and being like, I can't. And you know, he's talking to someone who's a lot more experienced, knowledgeable than him. It's like, no, this is optimal. This is suboptimal. And it's like, I can't get it done. Uh, you know, and it can be useful to get feedback from people who, yeah, you know, don't, don't know stuff back to front and don't know why things are the way that they are. And who are going to be bumping into problems that like you might not consider. Right. So, well, and then that's part of the language too, is like, you know, because again, you, you're connecting so many things with this talk. The idea of what are you interested in? Well, I want to I want to do this because that's what's fascinating to me. And then it's like, well, okay, but who who's going to use it? Where are they going to use it? And what truly do those users want <laughs> and need for? Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Because then, like, certain people can end up being kind of overrepresented. Like, certain voices might end up being like heard more. And it's also kind of came up in the. In the documentation talk, because yeah. it's like there are certain core developers who like may have contributed documentation and they might feel like ownership for that documentation, but it really is a community resource. And like the core developers are going like they're core developers because they are core developers, they're going to have different documentation needs than other people are going to have. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about terminology this whole time too, right? And all that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Where it's just like GC garbage collection, got it. Like once you've got it, it's locked. But for like for the first time you see it, it's like, oh no, this is an obstacle. I have to learn something. Right. Uh, and then you know, every time you see something that confuses you, like it's an opportunity to push through or to give up, right? Right. So yeah, exactly. Anyway, we we can talk about educational writing another time. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, totally. Next, uh, Jason R. Coombs talked about annotations as transforms. Basically, he's talking about designating transformation functions to be applied to parameters and return values. He, like, he started off talking about decorators, and he was inspired by decorators. He was like, oh, like in theory, we could implement his idea with decorators right away, but then he thought it would be more elegant to use annotations. Read the article. Check it out. And, ah, because Mark Shannon, so tiers of execution, making CPython execute efficiently, talks about plans for tiers of execution for future versions of Python. Check out the article. I definitely learned a lot by listening and then having to look up everything that he said. It was like, yeah. oh, this is what a tier of execution is. Oh, okay. So it's not about like going from one to the other. It's having multiple. And then it's like the hotter the code, the higher the thing. And like, oh, okay, this is fascinating. I feel like I understand a quarter of it. But check out the article and then go down rabbit holes of looking up everything like I did. And I think his slides maybe up okay. i'm not sure maybe on his github i provided links 
to people's online presences from their name in the articles. Yeah, I see his GitHub here where he's talking about the tiers okay, good. And, and breaking them yes. apart. And, yeah, cool. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember consulting his, like, I watched the talk, watched his slides, ended up reading, like, his own write-up about it. I was like, okay, I I think I am now equipped to write something. <laughs> yeah, get started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, get started. It sounds fascinating, and I understand a quarter of it, but check it out. Oh, yes, yeah, so the last one was by Tobias Cohn running parallel Python code in the browser. It's working on tpython, which is a new Python implementation works in the browser. He wants to like do multiprocessing in the browser and not block the UI and use native JavaScript libraries. He was another one who had really useful visualizations in his talk, so I tried to bring in a decent number of screenshots. But again, this is one of the lightning talks. So I was trying to split a thousand words between one, two, three, four, five, six talks, which was a challenge. Yeah. And I don't think I succeeded on that. But yeah, it was like all of these talks are fascinating. They cover a wide range of topics, of uses, of demographics, of problems, of solutions. Yeah. It's they it it is as broad as Python and the Python community. Yeah, it's cool. Lots of uh, aspects, lots of different um, points of view and <laughs> and goals that people have. So, and facets. Yeah, all these neat yeah. facets. Yeah, it's great. And I, that was it. Yeah. The, it, oh. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of <laughs> lot to go digest. And so, you know, depending on what so you're interested much. in. And again. Yeah, yeah. Pick like a thing. Start there. And the, probably not all of it will be interesting to everybody, which is totally fine. Right. But yeah, it was, I mean, two days of talks. Uh, I think they were maybe recording for like, maybe it was like sixth day or something like that. But yeah, I was definitely having some brain mush by the end, just as I absorbed all of these fascinating topics that were becoming less esoteric to me as I learned. Yeah. But I was definitely going into these being like, okay, time to have a better understanding of memory leaks than I did before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It was very, very cool. And I'm glad I got to, you know, share this with people because, you know, the people who did not get to go now get to sort of have gone. Yeah. I have a couple of uh, weekly questions. You, you up for those? Ooh, go for it. Okay. So yeah. the first one is, what are you excited about in the world of Python right now? Well, clearly the editorial board. Yeah. <laughs> that is up there. In terms of projects, I have one been wondering if I need to finally circle back and work on like an old RenPy project that I started because mm, okay. it feels just like a fun a fun thing to do right yeah to, it's like a visual novel language right yeah yeah it's a visual yeah yeah it's I think there was actually a PyCon talk yeah on on the last one uh, about it but yeah it's fun I was picking around with it before and it's like I'm really good at starting projects <laughs> <laughs> don't have to get me started yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and but it's a very it's a fun a fun type of project. I mean, generally I like games and writing anyway, yeah. and so this is a nice it combines all kind that, of yeah. combines all yeah, that. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I do. I think I might pick that, but I, don't, I I am also far too good at filling my time, so we'll see how that <laughs> cool. rolls out. But yeah, I guess this might be related to that. Then the next one is like, what do you want to learn next? Ooh, ooh. Um, I haven't actually messed around with any internet of things stuff mm, okay i've never gotten around to it and I, like in terms of whenever a project requires me to actually acquire physical objects mm -hmm. it tends to fall on the back burner but that is one of the things that has 
kind of been bubbling in the back of my mind as like a cool a cool thing to yeah. to actually dip my toe into. Is there a particular one? Not really. I, I remember at Pie Cascades a few years ago, I saw Severin Sev. I can't remember his last name, but he was giving a talk where he was using python to determine the humidity of soil yeah okay that sounded kind of yeah. neat yeah so i don't know if i would do that exactly but i might kind of revisit that talk as a point of inspiration to see what there you go what what is inspiring me but maybe i could somehow use that to like check the humidity in my sprouting containers or something i don't know yeah yeah so the this is something new i've been doing which is uh if you have some final like shout outs that you want to do, or um, if you want to share your like social connection stuff. Oh, okay. So, I mean, sh- shout out one of the fantastic, fabulous authors at Real Python, uh, Leo Danis, recently published his 30th article, which I think is a fantastic milestone. He's an absolute powerhouse. Yeah. So, check him <laughs> out. He has a fantastic series on PyCute. He is fantastic with gooey stuff. And yeah, he's fantastic. In terms of social, I mean, I am on Twitter. I don't tweet tons, but I'm at uh, Joe underscore Jablonski. So that's J-O underscore J-A-B-L-O-N-S-K-I. I do have a site that I have not updated in ages. It's jojab.dev, J-O-J-A-B.dev. But yeah. Cool. That's it. Thanks for coming on the show again. I, this has been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot just in <laughs> talking about it more. And, and again, you give me a bunch of uh, different avenues to further my uh, my learnings and, and things that I want to explore, yes. which is great. Fantastic. Well, it, was, it is a pleasure to be on and I'm always happy to chat. All right. Well, I hope to talk to you soon. You take care, Chris. Bye. All right. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Sentry helping developers see issues that matter, solve those issues in minutes, and learn insights to keep their applications running at peak performance. You can learn more at sentry.io slash 4FOR slash Python, or you can click the link in the show notes. I want to thank Joanna Jamlowski for coming on the show again. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.